It's the next level. Mmm, that's human blood, all right. What made you do such a brutal crime? What made me do it? Your experiment fucked up and you're blaming me? You're the madman! Do you tell it to the sheriff? I, 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 nothing! The evidence is surrounding me and the weapon's right at the door. I, 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 I... All I see is this goddamn chainsaw and a golf club at the door. I'm telling you, the creatures were here. They were here. You gotta believe me, you gotta believe me. We even killed a bunch of them. Ah, you're a real loony too. I better grab this before you try to kill me too. I'm not a killer. Your experiment went wrong. There's no creatures here, not even a dead one. The dead creatures were probably eaten or taken away by the others. You're watching too many horror movies, pal. This place is empty. material that may not be suitable for all viewers. Your discretion is advised. The Red Death had long devastated the country. No pestilence had ever been so fatal or so hideous. Blood was its avatar and its seal the redness and the horror of blood. There were sharp pains and sudden dizziness, and then profuse bleeding at the pores with dissolution. The scarlet stains upon the body, and especially upon the face of the victim, were the pest ban which shut him out from the aid and the sympathy of his fellow men. And the whole seizure, progress, and termination of the disease were the incidents of half an hour. Coming to you, undead, unwell, or any unword you can think of that just fully describes the annoying host of this show. From the Next Level Network of Podcasts and the filthy dungeon known as Studio Zero. The one podcast to rule them all. Uh, oh, wait. Wrong fucking movie. Welcome back, fiends, to What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. And the ghastly voice that's haunting your ear canals right now belongs to your host, Postmortem Paul. This week, for the 80th episode, number 80, 
to time traveling trip. Say that three times fast. Back to 1964. To a story that, um, well, seems almost modern in many eerie ways. Directed by Roger Corman and starring the ghoulish and graceful Vincent Price. Adapted from the writing of Edgar Allan Poe, The Mask of the Red Death. But first, allow me to talk about some things. Things! Yes, emphasize that word. You know why? What did you think of that opening sound clip? (laughs) So, that audio gem comes from... The 1989, uh, let me see if I can say this right, Canuxploitation, that's an actual genre, Canuxploitation, basically exploitation filmed in Canada, Uh, yeah, shot on uh, video, shot on VHS video, piece of shit known as Things, so quickly get into Things and I'll explain why I went with that sound clip to open it, first off, it's just, it's funny, I just... The dialogue in that movie just made me laugh. But anyways, recently I had this movie brought to my attention. And long story short, I posted on my social media account the Attack of the Killer Donuts poster. And people were, you know, conversing back and forth on social media, talking about, like, bad movies and whatnot. And uh, someone brought up the movie Things friend of mine Nathan from the band Third uh, Third Realm actually mentioned the band or the band the movie things I had never seen this um, I mean I was aware of it but had never really paid attention to what it was or anything I just knew there was a movie called things as a matter of fact there's two movies called things but this one in particular he was talking about the one from 1989 and it was on Tubi so I'm like all right read the synopsis i was like "Ooh, sounds like a challenge and i watched it and i watch bad movies so you don't have to because god damn this movie was bad um and not bad in a good bad kind of way just fucking bad but i will say this though there was there, there was definitely some positives to come from the movie uh one being the dialogue Obviously, that's why I started this movie with that clip. I was like, this shit's fucking gold. Like, there's... At one point, there's a part in the movie where the, the one dude says to the other dude, I don't even know names. Like, that's how, you know... it's how much I wasn't really into this movie, but I was kind of thing. Um, there's one point where the, the two dudes are talking or whatever, and the one guy says to the other, the next time we're going out together, I'm leaving you at home. Like, you can't go out together and leave them at home at the same time. Like, it just it doesn't work like that. And, I mean, that's just... That's one of the more minor, um, like, dialogue quips or whatever. I mean, you heard some of it in... It, You're a fucking maniac, man! Like, it just... And, interestingly enough, so much of the dialogue in this movie, like, has no emotion. That's probably one of the more emoting moments of the movie. Um, the other thing that I was actually appealing to me was the special effects which are not good most of the special effects look like that someone went to like a dollar store like you know 50 cent bin and pulled out like a bunch of like body parts and said we'll use these um you know and it just and red paint or whatever they could find the interesting thing about the movie though is because it's filmed on super 8 vhs it 
extremely poor quality and whatnot. The movie has like this almost like snuff film aesthetic to it. So the gore, which really isn't that good, actually looks better than it should because of the way the movie was filmed. So it, for a movie that like is just utterly wretched, at the same time, it's almost appealing to the point where I had to keep watching. I found myself like constantly watching this thing, even though I really, in most normal circumstances, would not watch this thing. The other third positive I kind of got from it, and I, I, I direct this to like anyone who creates things, whether it be artwork, whether it be music, films, um, you know, podcasts, even you know, written word. If you're an author or whatever, you do crafting or whatever. Keep in mind this: nothing you will ever create will ever be as bad as this movie. Now, again, like I say, like it, it, it's not a, it's 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 a bad movie, as in it's a bad movie. It's not good, bad. Uh, but if there's a positive that can be taken from something like this is that this movie was made. This movie has fans. There's a cult following for this movie. If that can happen, anything you will create will have a fan somewhere. will have someone supporting you somewhere. Um, so l- allow the movie to stand as a reminder that if this thing can exist and have followers and supporters and and people that actually enjoy this movie keep in mind that anything you create from this point on this should be an inspiration for you to continue going on because you you clearly can't do worse than this and i'm not saying that to knock the creators i'm not saying this to knock the quote unquote actors which to be fair this movie looks like it's just a bunch of friends got together and said let's try this um but I mean, it just it, it serves as a great purpose that if this movie can exist and this movie is loved by someone out in the world, anything you create can be loved by someone. So, kind of just wanted to start off with that point. Um, also, want to mention that the Friday the Thirteenth box set from Shout Factory. Okay, so my last episode, I had said, "Oh, it's going to be coming any day now." It actually came that day. Uh, right after I was done editing and uploading and you know promoting and whatnot on the social media, I go ahead and check and here's my box set sitting on my front porch. So that was awesome. Uh, I'm halfway through my watching of it. I tend to take a little bit longer than most people. I saw people online that were like, "I ripped through all the fucking 16 discs." Okay, good for you. <laughs> I want to you know, I want to enjoy this and you know, revel in it. So I'm slowly clicking away on the movies but um i am aware of the fact that there are a few defects um and i also posted on the facebook page the link to where you can have your replacement discs um requested they will send them out to you and whatnot um the the part three uh, uh, was it friday 13th part three i guess that's a 3d issue surprisingly i actually have a 3d blu-ray player i just don't have a three uh, a 3d um, like TV so it really doesn't help but uh, yeah I guess there's something with the 3D aspect or something like that it, it, it's something with the opening titles um, I am aware though of the Jason Goes to Hell issue with the, the snapped wrist is missing off the screen because of the way it was edited or something and that in Jason X there's the the sleeping bag kill or whatever that they're missing the screams and whatnot. I mean to be fair, for all 
the extras that I have on this and that I've been enjoying and whatnot, it really didn't bother me a whole lot. But then when I found out that I could, you know, just send a, you know, a photo of my receipt and say, hey, send me some discs, why not? So, yeah, I did. Uh, but, <laughs> but whatever, it is what it is. Um, in terms of also other sales that were going on, I know my last episode I mentioned about Arrow and Shout Factory and whatnot. Waxwork Records uh, came out with a nice doozy. Uh, Bride of Frankenstein, the original soundtrack recording by, um, uh, what's the guy's name? Franz Waxman, I believe is the name. Shit, didn't write it down. But anyways, the original soundtrack recording from the original Bride of Frankenstein all the way back into, what, 1932 or whatever it was, 1933. I know I have the wrong year, but whatever. Uh, you get my point. The thing is, is it's being released on vinyl. The vinyl looks beautiful, so I ordered one. I, I, I was like, I'm sorry, I'm jumping all over that. Um, but yeah, in, in ter- this is the time of the year, man. Us horror fans, we get our sales this time of the year. So, uh, what else did we get? We recently got uh, Joe Bob's Halloween Hideaway. That was on Shutter last. Friday, October 23rd. And it was awesome. I actually really enjoyed it. Um, two movies that were aired. Uh, the Shudder exclusive Haunt. That's the one that Eli Roth produced. I'm not going to lie. I actually like the movie Haunt. Um, I know there's some people that are kind of like, oh, well, you know, it's too derivative of you know movies we've had before and we've seen all this before, this and that, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, okay, whatever, but that's the horror genre. I mean, a lot of movies you see always borrow from others and whatnot. And I still, though, like, this movie was... It was faster paced than normal. Because, uh, you know, some movies are just way... The, the, the slow burn is just done a little too much. This was done perfectly. I felt it was nicely paced. I felt there was there was some good gore and whatnot. There's some cool, creepy scenes and whatnot. Is it's not the best movie I've ever seen. It's about you know a six or a seven out of ten kind of movie, but it was awesome nonetheless to see Joe Bob you know talking about it and whatnot. And then the second film they did was Hack a Lantern, which <laughs> that's what, that's a, a weird movie for me. It's like. I can watch it, I can tolerate it, I can enjoy it, but at the same time, if you gave me that option versus another movie, more than likely I'm going to pick the other movie, but I, nonetheless, it was really cool. I thought it was cool this time around for the uh, the in-between segments where there was Joe Bob and Darcy and Yuki and John Brennan and whatnot. Um, I thought it was kind of cool that they were kind of like making it a show as well like it wasn't just a matter of and i i remember going back you know that original marathon with joe bob and it seemed like every movie that he aired in between there was no guest there was no segment like there was no like show put on it was just him talking about things from the movie a bunch of trivia facts whatnot sort of like i do this podcast um except even i kind of vary off into weird tangents at times and whatnot and where that first marathon he seemed like he was just kind of like going with the motions now it actually feels like these guys are becoming a family and they're becoming a show together and whatnot and i mean at one point we got like yuki is like hiding in a tree you know and the whole crew apparently wants to walk out on joe bob and darcy's getting snippy with him which it was really nice to see darcy being more a part of the show now as opposed to 
you know, kind of sitting there but not saying anything. I know that there was a whole bunch of personal issues there and whatnot. Anyone who's listened to her podcast, you guys know the, the deal behind all that. But it was really cool to just see them all coming together, and I was really enjoying it this time around. Uh, there was an after-show Instagram Q&A on Joe Bob's uh, Instagram. With, it was Joe Bob and Darcy. Um, and they were like kind of answering questions and whatnot. I actually got a confirmation on Instagram tonight from Darcy, the male girl of all people. Um, because okay, like this this time around, they had they they're not at the trailer anymore. They're now in a cabin in the woods kind of thing, and that's the new studio setup and whatnot. And I kind of mentioned on Instagram about like I really like the cabin setup, and I'm hoping that's something they're gonna go with a bit longer. And the reason I kind of mentioned it is because during the show, Joe Bob does make a comment about, well, we're here for nine months. Well, nine months in my head is telling me this is basically this special, a possible Christmas special, and season three. And, well, I guess I was kind of right on that because Darcy did co- like confirm it on Instagram that the cabin is going to be basically the new stage setup for the coming season. So that's awesome. Um... But it was just, it was really cool to see them having fun with it. You know, there was a whole joke going on and whatnot. Um, I'm not going to spoil the ending for those who didn't see it, but at the end of Hack-A-Lantern, there is an extra clip they've added for fun, and that was super awesome. So that was great. Uh, I really enjoyed that. In terms of streaming services, there's something that has pissed off the world. It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown will not be aired on network television this year at all, according to most media reports that I read, with the odd exception of, like, you know, bloggers and whatnot kind of wondering the same thing I was wondering is, is this worldwide? You know, well, you know, what if, like, there's some pocket in Canada, you know, up in the north, uh, you know, by Nunavut or something like that, that their network gets it. But, I mean, whatever. <laughs> I, I'm pulling, I'm really, like, stretching it here. The thing is, is that apparently Apple TV has bought the distribution rights to It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, and they are now exclusively airing it through Apple TV, which, as I've been reading on the internet a lot lately, a lot of people are saying, yeah, sure, put it on the streaming service nobody has. Um, But yeah, apparently part of the agreement is no network can which I did kind of look into like Canadian networks like YTV and Cartoon Network like the Canadian version and whatnot. apparently they're not airing it either so this is it's, it's very interesting which I absolutely get the anger behind this I get why people are pissed off you know it it's a tradition it's it's been a yearly tradition for something like 54 years or something like that I mean like why change it now I get that but at the same time there's a part of me that almost feels like don't most people already own this? Like in some way, shape, or form? Like, I know myself personally, I have it digitally, I have it on VHS, and I have it on DVD. I just don't have Blu-ray because, honestly, I really don't think there's a need to upgrade from DVD to Blu-ray for it's, you know, the great pumpkin Charlie Brown. Like, especially when I have a digital copy that's already HD. So, like, but I mean, that's the thing, like, this is one of those specials, and it's very easy to find. Like, I mean, every year at Halloween, you find it in the bargain bins for two, three, five bucks, whatever it is. I mean, it's not a hard one to come by. So, as much as I get the anger and everything, I know a lot of people, a lot of my friends, and a lot of people I know, we all own it. 
and we can watch it whenever we want, which usually ends up being more than just at Halloween. So, I mean, is it a complete loss that Apple TV is the only ones that, you know, are just are like distributing it now? Nah, whatever. And the final thing I'll mention is, yeah, that movie Hocus Pocus, you know, my favorite movie in the world. I guess a sequel's on the way. I guess that was reported a while ago, and I just wasn't paying attention. Why would I? Well, anyways, Bette Midler apparently has said that all three actors, actresses, sorry, actors, actresses, whatever, but all three actresses have said yes to returning for this sequel movie. Just kill me now. Like, I mean, isn't one enough? Do we really need two? Oh, whatever. But now, but now, let's get back on the positive. It's time for the trailer timeout. And when we return, our shared podcast experience will become infected with famine, pestilence, war, disease, and death. As we break down and unmask... The Roger Corman classic. The Mask of the Red Death. Yeah. We're going to unmask. Trust me, man. Like this movie. It had been a couple years since I watched it. And I should probably save this for after the break. But I'll I'll say it now. It had been a couple years since I had seen this. I used to have it on VHS like way back in the day. And it was like one of those, um, like the knockoff copies that you like, you know, I don't know for those of you who remember VHS tapes, you used to go into like, you know, a Zellers, a Woolco, Target, Walmart, wherever, you know, and they would have like the, the VHS bins and it was all knockoff movies or knockoff copies of movies. You know, Night of the Living Dead was a famous one. Fuck. Because it was in the public domain, like everyone and their mother was releasing that on VHS. Anyways, um. But you'd get like those like really cheap copies of VHS tapes and whatnot. And anyways, at one point I had I had the movie The Terror. I had Night of the Living Dead, obviously. <laughs> That's a constant. Um, and I had Mask of the Red Death, uh, along with House on Haunted Hill. That was another one I had too. And I remember watching this, and I, I loved it way back then. And then for whatever reason, I think I got rid of the tape or whatever, because I mean, it wasn't the best quality. It was, you know, it was filmed on like the really slow speed. So your picture, your picture quality already was shit to start with and whatnot. And the, you know, the colors were bleeding on the screen and stuff like that. So, I mean, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a good copy. It wasn't worth keeping. And then just recently shutter added it to their service and I was like oh fuck it's been so long since I watched that movie and I love that movie so I watched it again and yeah relevant much more on that after the break back in the splat kids death personalized by the motion picture screens prince of horror vincent price 
corrupt them. No, I beg of you. Mercy, mercy. With the devil's own darling, Hazel Court. Lord Satan. Send me a demon. So I may know I'm to be your wife. And a lost, virginal angel of innocence, Jane Asher. I want to help save your soul so you can join me in the glories of hell. No, never. She's a woman cursed by Satan's seneschal, whose very existence turns the white rose blood red. Diamonds, rubies, emeralds, pearls. Lavishly, he plants his corrupting seeds of sin, spreading living terror that not even the unsullied can escape. craves all the forbidden pleasures of the depraved. Each man creates his own heaven, his own hell. Let me see your face. So, Roger Corman's The Mask of the Red Death was released June 24th, 1964 in the United States. However, I had to mark the Irish release because I feel it actually fits better. October 30th, 1964, which in these parts around here, October 30th is known as Devil's Night. I don't know, like, you know, where everybody in Detroit apparently like starts fires and kills each other because <laughs> it's different any other day. But no, I'm just kidding. Um, but no, because of the whole, um, there, there's the whole idea of, uh, I'll get further into it, but uh, Prince uh, Prospero's like, um, you know, allegiance to Satan and the idea that it was released October 30th, which around here is known as Devil's Night. I was like, that date actually is like better, like than June 24th. I get that they wanted to release this as a summer film and whatnot, but October 30th, 1964, it, what a fucking metal date to release this movie. Like that, I don't know. It just seems better in my opinion. So, so yeah, in Ireland, it was released October 30th. And of course, as most of you know, but for those of you who don't, this was based on a short story by Edgar Allan Poe. There's also other stories that are tied into this. Um, another Edgar Allan Poe that, like one of those stories they kind of borrow from to expand this movie, uh, was Hop Frog. And okay, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it further on. But um, basically, the whole reason for pulling ideas from other stories as well is that if, if you've read the mask of the red death, uh, it's lucky to fill maybe two pages of a book. It's a short story. It's not very long. So in order to expand this story, they had to take elements from other, 
other stories and and whatnot, and you know, kind of elaborate in the whole satanic thing. They added that like all in this and whatnot. So, I mean, like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll get into it a little bit later. But um, technically, this is based on the Edgar Allan Poe short story of the same name, The Mask of the Red Death, produced and directed by Roger Corman. Now, Roger Corman is known to put out a lot of weird, fucked-up movies, a lot of um, almost uh, comedic movies because they're really not that good. Um, I mean, the man has, in terms of producer credits, over 400 credits. He's produced over 400 fucking movies and directed something... uh, What did I see? He directed like 56 films, I think. But in terms of being a producer, yeah, he's produced a lot. And most of them were hokey, cheesy, B-movie garbage. And then there's this movie. Um... I mean, other films that he's directed. We'll go, let's, uh, producer credits, 414, basically anything and everything under the sun. He's directed films, though, like The Wasp, Woman, A Bucket of Blood, House of Usher, um, The Raven, The Terror, The Tomb of Legia, I think I'm saying that, or Legia, uh, The Battle Beyond the Stars. He's also acted in a few movies, actually, as well, including, this one was interesting, because I honestly didn't know this and i'm stupid for not because it's a movie i've watched a zillion times but the godfather part two i totally did not realize he was in the fucking movie uh he was also in body bags john carpenter's body bags which i did know that and he's in silence of the lambs which i knew that um moving on though he also i he's not credited but I could swear that I read somewhere that he he helped in the writing process. I'm not 100% positive, though. He wasn't credited anywhere that I could see it. So, But I swear I've read that somewhere before. Anyways, the screenplay for this was written by Charles Beaumont, who also did... Uh, he worked on projects like Burn Witch Burn, uh, and he was part of the Twilight Zone. Uh, and he was part of a movie... Uh, like He worked on a movie called Brain Dead, Not dead alive like because i know peter jackson's dead alive is also known as brain dead it's not that movie this one is the one with uh bill pullman and bill paxton and also the screenplay was written or co-written by r wright campbell who worked on movies like teenage caveman man of a thousand faces and hell angels on wheels the special effects for this movie were by george blackwell i mentioned him because he worked on movies like moby dick uh, the Curse of the Mummy's Tomb, and The Abominable Dr. Fibes. Cinematography by Nicholas Rogue. You may remember me talking about him back in episode 49. And the reason I say that is because he directed the film The Man Who Fell to Earth, starring David Bowie, which was a listener request for this show. Um, He also worked on the film Don't Look Now from 1973, and he directed the film The Witches from 1990, the one that is uh, apparently being remade. uh, Well, it's been remade. It'll be released soon, starring Anne Hathaway and a whole lot of CGI. I'm not saying anything more. Nicholas Rogue did pass away, though, in 2018. And the music was by David Lee, 
And he did a crap ton of TV work. Our starring cast. And I've done the starring cast a little bit differently here as I am saving the best for last. So everybody else is getting mentioned first and then obviously our star. So Hazel Court as Juliana. She was uh, Prince Prospero's mistress. Um, Hazel Court had 73 acting credits, some of which included The Curse of Frankenstein from 1957, The Man Who Could Cheat Death, uh, Cheat Death, and The Raven from 1963, which was Roger Corman's film that he, um, he, I believe he just produced that. No, he directed that one. Uh, he directed it before doing this one. Uh, the Raven actually, I believe, was his first Edgar Allan Poe film, and this was his second one, if I remember reading that correctly. Jane Asher as Francesca, or Fra- Francesca. I always say that wrong. Um, she's a really young, pretty girl in this film. Um, she did a lot of TV work. Um, there was, she had quite a few acting credits in terms of TV, but she also was in a movie called The Deep, or sorry, Deep End in 1970, and Death at a Funeral in 2007. Um, so she, and I believe she's got, if I remember correctly, she's got two uh, films coming out in 2021, I believe, that are in post production right now that she was working on. So, so she's still acting. She's still around. Uh, David Weston as Gino. He's Francesca's lover. Um, he's done some acting, but I, I mainly wanted to point out because I thought this was kind of cool. He he was in Doctor Who twice. Um, in 1966, he was in four episodes of Doctor Who. And then years later, in 1981, he would play a different character in three episodes of Doctor Who. So it was kind of cool, like, seeing that, like, he's been in Doctor Who twice, but as two different roles at two different eras. Um, don't ask me which Doctor was which at that time. I I know Doctor Who, but I don't know it that well. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and try and act like I'm all smart. I, I know Doctor Who from about Doctor 9 onwards, um, with like, you know, like knowing like the fourth doctor and the sixth doctor and stuff like that. Like, I mean, I know some Doctor Who stuff, but I am not a die hard, you know, Whovian as like, you know, some of my other friends who can practically tell me like, you know, every little fucking detail as to the differences between each TARDIS. Like, I, I don't know that stuff. I'm not going to lie. Nigel Green as Ludovico. The Ludovico Technique. And if you know where I just quoted that from, where's the Ludovico technique from? And I'm not talking about the band either, although there is a band. Aha, did you know that? Okay, so Ludovico is Francesca's father. Um, But Nigel Green was also, uh, a role that he played that really stood out to me was he was Hercules in Jason and the Argonauts, uh, the movie from 1963. He was also, in the 1971 vampire flick Countess Dracula with Ingrid Pitt. Um, moving on. Oh, yes. John Westbrook. John Westbrook as the Red Death. Now, he's apparently, though, in the film, he's actually uncredited. Uh, you have to do some digging to find that. I mean, now on the internet, digging is like a matter of Google search, but 
Yeah. Uncredited in the movie, though, uh, John Westbrook was the Red Death. He was also this. For those of you who know me personally, you know that over the past week, I've been on a huge Lord of the Rings kick and playing the soundtracks and watching the movies and whatnot. Um, so this like just stood out to me when I when I saw this. Uh, he was the voice of Treebeard in the 1978 animated adaptation of the Lord of the Rings, which. I was talking with a friend the other day. If I remember correctly, in the animated films, I'll, I'll admit, I haven't watched them in at least 20 years, if not longer. Uh, <laughs> it's been a while. But if I remember correctly, like the, the Lord of the Rings movie, I believe, it, like the animated version, was done by Ralph Bakshi. And I believe it was actually the story of the Fellowship of the Ring and part of Two Towers, if I remember correctly. Because Treebeard is part of Two Towers, and yet he's in the animated uh, Lord of the Rings. So, uh, John Westbrook was also in the Tomb of Legea from 1964. Patrick McGee played Alfredo, and Patrick McGee was also in films like The Skull from 1965, Monster of Terror from 1965, and oh hey, I mentioned Ludovico Technique, A Clockwork Orange. Patrick McGee was in A Clockwork Orange as Mr. Alexander. He was also in the movie Chariots of Fire. Skip Martin as Hop Toad. And I don't have a whole lot on Skip Martin, but he was also in films like Psycho Circus, Vampire Circus, Son of Dracula, and Horror Hospital. Now, the moment you've all been waiting for, for me to talk about this one man. One man is a legend. He's our starring role in this movie, and God, he's a gem. They just don't make him like this guy anymore. Like, they just don't. And it's a fucking shame. Vincent Price as Prince Prospero. 211 acting credits to his name, which is awfully close to how many Christopher Lee was in. Christopher Lee, I think, had something like 206... Maybe even more. Or was... You know, I wish I'd research a little bit harder sometimes. But Christopher Lee may have been the one. I know there was somebody I recently read where they had like 298 acting credits. And maybe that's him, but I'm thinking he was closer to like 206 or something like that. Anyways, Vincent Price is no slouch at 211 acting credits. Acting credits which included The Invisible Man Returns. Green Hell, Dragonwick, House of Wax, The Fly, House on Haunted Hill, Return of the Fly, The Bat, The Fall of the House of Usher, Pit and the Pendulum, Tales of Terror, The Raven, Diary of a Madman, The Last Man on Earth, The Tomb of Legea, He Was Egghead, in the Batman TV series from 1966, he was in the movie Scream and Scream Again. He was the abominable, ab- abominable, I always have a hard time saying that word, Dr. Fives. And he was in Dr. Fives Rises Again. He was in the TV series The Hilarious House of Frightenstein. Theater of Blood, The Monster Club. He was the narrated voice of Michael Jackson's Thriller, which we all know that one. He was in The 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, Dead Heat, and Edward Scissorhands, which was his final major film role 
before his passing of October 25th, 1993. And I mean, there's a, like I said, 211 acting credits. There's a shit ton I left out. All of those are such highlights to this man's career, and I'm not—I'm e- not even scraping the tip of the iceberg. He—he's a fucking gem, and he's been gone a long time. I did not realize it was actually 1993 he had passed away, and I was like, "Damn, it's been a long time in this world without Vincent Price." But his legacy, you know, and I think sometimes the reason why I don't realize it is because every year. I always see Vincent Price pictures and I, I see postings on social media about him and I see movies of his constantly playing and I own quite a few of these movies as well. So, I mean, I think it's just one of those things where I didn't realize it was so long ago, but it was. And it's like, wow, what, 20, 27 years ago he passed away. It's practically an age. It's like, shit, but such a legend. The movie's runtime is an hour and 29 minutes long. It's not rated because this movie came out before the time of the MPAA film rating board. Um, as a matter of fact, I think I had highlighted it episodes ago when I was talking about Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead was one of the first films to ever get an actual rating. Um, or no, sorry. It was one of the last films to not get a rating. That's what it was. Um Currently, this movie can be purchased online through Apple, Google. Um, It can be streamed through Shudder. It is on Shudder right now. Or it can be purchased in physical form through Shout Factory as part of their Scream Factory line. Not to mention, I'm sure if you go looking around, you can find DVDs. There there was a a two-pack. I'm trying to think of what the other movie was on it. But there was Mask of the Red Death and I think it was House of Usher. That was the other one when they had the um, the dual movie DVDs uh, from was it MGM? MGM had the midnight movies, and you could it was two movies on uh, two films in a, a, a single disc set and whatnot. I think you can still find that kicking around, you know. So I mean, the movie's not impossible to find. So now moving on to the synopsis of the film, um, and I have in my hand here the. Scream Factory Blu-ray, so that's where I'm I'm getting this uh, synopsis from. It's not a very long one, but it's just it's something to kind of give you an idea of what the movie's about. Basically, it states, "Death and debauchery reign in the castle of Prince Prospero, played by Vincent Price, and when it rains, it pours." Prospero has only one excuse for his diabolical deeds: the devil made him do it. But when a mysterious, uninvited guest crashes his pad during a masquerade ball, there will be hell to pay as the party atmosphere turns into a dance macabre. And that's pretty much it. Um, I'm obviously going to get deeper into the themes and whatnot of the of the film, but that's just the really generalized version on the, uh, the Blu-ray anyways. Um, so move on now. Notes from Prospero's Castle. That's what we're calling it this week. Um, So I want to highlight something right away. Because this is a question that commonly gets asked. Um, And I've... On the internet, I've had people ask me... It's a a thing... If you've seen this movie, it's something that people always ask about. So, 
Of course, the first thing I'm talking about is one of the final scenes of the movie. But we see, uh, we know that the Red Death is a, a cloaked figure all in red. At the end of the movie, you see several different colored cloaked figures. You know, there's a black one, golden, uh, blue, yellow, red, white, and violet. And a lot of people have asked, okay, so what do they actually represent? Okay, so the Black Death um, basically represents the Black Death, um, the bubonic plague, so to speak. Um, the Golden Death represents leprosy. The Violet Death, porphyria. Uh, Blue Death represents cholera. Yellow Death represents yellow fever. The White Death is tuberculosis. And the Red Death is rabies. So, in case anyone ever asks you, and you know, you watch this movie with someone, and they're like, "Well, what do all the different figures mean?" They all represent different diseases that killed huge populations of people. Um, so I, I, I know I started with the last point. I should have left this for last, but it, it, it was something that even I've always questioned. I was like, "What?" do each of the deaths represent so it was something that i had looked into and i was like i'm mentioning this first even though it's like considered one of the final scenes of the movie spoilers <laughs> um all right so anyways in terms of roger corman this was roger corman's first film that he shot in england um kind of a funny story about roger corman um when he was filming, like when he was filming the of uh, the movie and whatnot, uh, Jane Asher had uh, asked, had had requested of him if a friend of hers could, you know, visit the set and join them for lunch and everything like that. And she explained that her friend was a musician. And he was, you know, going to be playing his first gig, first gig in London and blah 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 blah. They had lunch. Roger Corman wished him good luck. You know, Roger Corman never realized that the person he was talking to was Paul McCartney. Um, yeah, Paul McCartney and the Beatles had played in London that night. It was their first gig in London. And Roger Corman didn't even realize that he had just met what would go on to be one of the most famous names in music. So it's kind of a cool story. And the fact that Jane Asher was friends with Paul McCartney... Um, that's kind of cool in itself, you know. I mean, anyways, yeah, it was a cool little trivia fact. I thought I'd throw in there. Um, so, Roger Corman, though, loves this movie so much that in an interview he did with um, Cinema Retro Magazine, uh, and I even got the issue number, was issue number 18. Roger Corman said that Mask of the Red Death was his favorite film that he had ever done in, uh, alongside uh, the 1962 film The Intruder and X, The Man with X-Ray Eyes that he did in 1963. So those were his three personal favorites. I mean, up to that point in that time frame, which I'm sure have, probably hasn't changed. Um, and he also, later on, he was also quoted as saying that the Mask of the Red Death and the Fall of the House of Usher, he always felt they were the two best post stories. So after the success of House of Usher, he wanted to make the Mask of the Red Death right after. He wanted to, to follow it up with, um, like, you know, do it as a follow-up film. In 1961, 
he had announced that he would do Mask of the Red Death. He said, that's it. I'm going to do this movie. And he had a script from Charles Beaumont that he was ready to, he was ready to go gung-ho with it. He did put it off for several months, though, um, because there was another film that came out at that time known as The Seventh Seal. That came out in 1957. He was afraid that if he released it, people would think that he was blatantly ripping off The Seventh Seal, which he wasn't. This was supposed to be an Edgar Allan Poe story that, you know, he was going to obviously have to flesh it out with other elements and whatnot, but... He eventually made the movie. Um, He did do it, but it was one of those things where he just kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. Um, Now, according to him, he says that eventually he just came to terms with it and realized it was a stupid reason in his mind, and that's why he went along and, you know, made the movie. But I can kind of understand that to a degree because even in today's day, so many films will come out, and if they come out too close to another film, people automatically will say, oh, this is a ripoff. But then again, you have movies that come out 30 years later and will say, oh, they ripped off this movie. So, I mean, I understand his thought process. I understand why he also says it was somewhat of a, an artificial reason. But let's face it, he would have been damned if he did and damned if he didn't. So it's just good that he finally went through with the film and, you know made it what it is today. Uh, This was one of the first films shot in color by cinematographer Nicholas Rogue. Apparently up to this point, he had done a lot of black and white. Here's the thing. Thank God they went with color because the colors in this film are fucking gorgeous. Now, I understand. I I currently watch the Scream Factory Blu-ray, beautiful, uh, well, I think it's, it's... 1080p i don't think it's 4k but still it's fucking gorgeous it's this beautiful full screen edition completely restored very radiant film you know um in small ways in little itsy bitsy ways it reminds me of suspiria uh but not in terms of like full screen color use like like suspiria did where like it was like full reds and full greens on like the full screen but the fact that like the reds the blues the greens and the yellows uh, in this film are are full they're very full and and they're bright looking and whatnot and again i understand i'm watching a, a, a you know a, a remastered version and whatnot but still like had this movie been filmed in black and white they wouldn't have been able to remaster it to have that radiant so it's like thank god you did this one in color like you know, because again, they could have gone black and white, and I wouldn't have had the experience I have with this movie now. Okay, so I am putting a disclaimer on this point because I'm going to try to keep this as unpolitical as possible. However, this movie. If you watch it in the year 2020, will hit certain notes. It will really hit some certain fucking notes. So I'm putting a disclaimer on this now that from this point on, anything that I say in regards to this film is not me trying to necessarily project a political persuasion, but just to point out the 
relevancy and the comparisons between both. You have been warned from this point on. If you don't like what I have to say, you have two options. Press stop or fuck off. Because I am aware of certain tweets that have been circulating around on Twitter since October 2nd slash 3rd of 2020 comparing the story of the Red Death to a certain president who had a little party in the United States while he was positive or tested positive, so to speak, for COVID-19. My thing is, is that when I watch this movie, I think, okay, yes. Hmm. All right. I'll give you that. But this movie adaptation goes quite far in terms of how this year has played out. And what I mean by that is I keep hearing this term, this thing people keep saying that we are living in unprecedented times. And my question is, are we? Are these really unprecedented times? Because Roger Corman that made this movie, and he wasn't taking this movie seriously when he made it. God damn it, it feels like he fucking was writing about 2020. And I know I see on the internet a lot, people will say, you know, oh, Stephen King wrote The Stand, and he wrote The Dead Zone, and he basically wrote what 2020 would be. I give you that. (laughs) I've said it myself. There's a lot of similarities between The Stand and Now and Dead Zone and Now. Yes, I get it. But this movie kind of fucking hammers those points home. And let me explain. Number one, The Red Death. Now, I understand that the Red Death in the film, like I said earlier, is supposed to represent rabies. However, I look at it that the Red Death is merely representing an epidemic or pandemic of sorts. Uh, It's a viral threat, a virus threat, whatever you want to call it. Uh, It's killing off the population. It's making people sick. Um, It's something that people fear. Where are we at currently, people? Like, the character of Prospero is an evil dictator, a tyrannical leader. Well, I don't know about you, but, I mean, social media can't stop telling me enough about how horrible Donald Trump is. Now, I will say this. Donald Trump is nowhere near charismatic as Vincent Price is. Vincent Price could say for me to go jump off a river. I probably would. Or jump off a bridge into a river, sorry. And I probably would. Um, I love listening to this man's voice. I said the other day, I was joking around with some friends, and I said I have a completely like heterosexual love for Vincent Price's voice. That man could speak anything to me, and I'd be like, all right, I am under your spell. I don't know so much about Donald Trump, but <laughs> it's like, okay, I, I get the reference there and I get that. Yes, we have this this evil dictator, this evil leader, whatever. In, in this case, he's a prince. Um, across the river, we have it's, – it's some crazy orange-looking man named their president. Um, and, you know, in terms of Prospero – You know, he sold his soul to the devil thinking that will save him from this virus, that this virus will not kill him. This virus will have no hold over him. Um, Need I say more? Because I recollect somebody saying, oh, this virus had nothing. It didn't do anything to me. And I don't trust him. I've never trusted anyone in the government, so it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't have to be specific people. (laughs) It's just I don't trust governments. Period. 
Um, so we have in this movie there are the, the the prince and his people. They are doing these tactics. They're trying to put a divisional wedge between Gino and Ludovico. Um, they they want them to fight. And, you know, saying that, like, well, one of you has to die and one of you will live and you will fight to the death whether you want to or not. And, of course, they're going to fight that and say, no, we're going to stay unified. And I'm laughing because I'm watching this thinking, well, that's kind of similar because in 2020 here we have all this these these this phony bullshit you see on social media. There's propaganda. There's trigger words. There's everyone has a mental illness and all this other shit. And we have all these divisions and all these labels to come between people instigating battles, wars, and all this other bullshit. We've got riots and looting going on everywhere because why? Because people get triggered by, based on divisions and labels. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm watching this, and here's this prince that's coming between this father and, or yeah, the father and the, the, the son-in-law or whatever. Um, and I'm like, okay, that's pretty relevant. That isn't that what people are doing today? Like we're, we're constantly arguing over who's who and what's what and who we, which side you stand on. Are are you left? Are you right? Are you blue? Are you red? Are you black lives matter or all lives matter? And it, it's constant bullshit being thrown at people from all sides, trying to keep us divided. And I'm laughing, watching this movie going, fuck, you nailed that one dead on. Um, the idea of Prospero keeping Francesca imprisoned until either her lover or her father are dead or until she sees the world through his eyes and blindly follows him. And I'm thinking to myself, sounds like a lot of fucking abusive relationships these days. What, what do you think? Like, how many times do we see this where, you know, and I know it's more highlighted towards, you know, female abuse than it is male abuse, but it happens on both sides. Um, the idea of, you know, the whole, if I can't have you, no one can have you kind of thing. And I'm going to control you and your life will be ruled by mine. You will think like I do. You will see the world as I do. You will do what I say. This is nothing new. Like, and again, this, this film and like the idea of like, okay, I mean, like I said, they bring in the whole satanic the, the the idea of Satanism into this and Prospero has sold his soul to Satan so he doesn't catch this virus and whatnot. And he wants to be, you know, the evil lord of the world kind of thing. But he also wants to convert Francesca, which there's the idea of Christian believers versus non-believers. Um, Age-old story that never seems to change. We constantly are going through this all the fucking time. And my thing is, is like, like myself personally, I'm atheist. Okay, I, I I don't believe there's anything. I'm not saying that I'm right. That's my personal belief. I also don't have a problem with someone who does believe, because you know what? We gotta cling on to something in this world, and some of us choose to believe in other things. Some of us choose to believe in ourselves. Some choose to believe in a god. Some choose to believe in their fucking dog. <laughs> I believe in my dog before I believe in a god. But <laughs> notice the letters. But anyways, um, <laughs> no, but the thing is, it, my point is, is that I don't have a problem with people believing things as long as they don't try to inflict it on me. And I'm watching this movie going, Prospero is exactly those kinds of people that I fucking hate in this world that insist that their opinion is right. You are wrong. Where have I said that? Haven't I been saying that on this podcast that this whole idea of we live in a world where I'm right, you're wrong. And 
that's going on in this movie and it's showing the idea of abusive relationships. No, in terms of relationships, I'm not talking a romantic relationship. I mean, in Prospero's mind, he thinks he has a chance with Francesca. Francesca is still in love with her husband slash boyfriend, whatever he is. So, and and she's going to stand by that. She's also going to stand by her God. There's nothing wrong with what she's doing. I actually find that in, in this film, even though I probably, w- I don't want to say I'd believe in a, a, a Satan because whatever, it, it's, it's stupid. But the idea that Prospero sees past a God and he, it, it, there's the huge quote in here where, you know, and I quoted it earlier about like the war, the famine, the death, the pestilence and all that sort of stuff. That's what rules this world. I'm that, I'm that skeptic that sees it that way. I see that, the, you know, people are shitty in this world. That's why I always say I hate people. Um, so, I mean, like, I kind of find myself more in line with his approach to it, but again, then he's giving his allegiance to the other French element. And that's the whole thing, especially in this world we live in with the whole idea of the left versus the right. And it's like, it's the fringe elements that are doing all the fucking screaming and talking. Everyone in the middle is going, um, what about us? Hey, can we say something? No, shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> that's what's going on in this world right now. So this movie was like hitting like all fucking elements and everything the poor versus the rich like another age-old story that never seems to change and that's a classic one i mean that even dates back to like stories like robin hood and shit like that like there's always been that and again it's very relevant um the masquerade ball masquerade ball which first off you're banning the color red and, you know, only allowed the followers of the prince. Now, in this world that we live in, it's like, especially right now with U.S. politics being jammed down the world's throat, you know, red versus blue. And one is, you have to cancel out the other. So it's like, we're going to ban this color, or ban that color. Um, and only the followers of each side are allowed to attend. Like, you can, my God, don't dare have a Democrat at a Republican party. Like, oh my God, you're, you're a fucking disease. Um, in a room full of fakes, you got to keep that in mind too. Like, and that's one thing that always makes me laugh is like when people will like follow these leaders, they'll vote for these leaders or whatever. And it's like, you do realize that they're only telling you what you want to hear. Right. They're, they're being fake. They're not telling you what they're definitely going to do. No leader has ever lived up to his full potential of what he said he was going to do or she for that matter. Um, I mean, there's a reason why so many people in the world are going, look at over fucking New Zealand. Like there's your ideal leader right there because she's one of the few that does things right. And even that, is she living up to the potential of what she you know, told her people? Probably not. I don't know. I wasn't over in New Zealand when they were doing their elections and whatnot. I don't give a shit. But my thing is, is these are fake people. And a lot of the people that follow them, especially in the higher ups, like the, the one percenters and whatnot, it's all about the money. They don't fucking care about, you know, let's be honest right now. If Mr. P.O.T.U.S. over there, if if he had actually died from the virus, do you think anyone would actually have mourned him? Honestly? No, probably not. I mean, his family might have. I'm not saying that people don't love him or anything, but in terms of all these people that are following him blindly, they ain't gonna fucking care. They just want to make sure that whatever he put in place stays. That's all. And another thing with the masquerade ball, like, 
the people. Okay, so there's, uh, what is it? The scene where Prospero is like showing off his power and, you know, he's got these people that all, all these, um, I forget what they actually called them in the fucking movie, but like, like his disciples, I guess, or whatever, like, you know, his followers, um, how like he could like literally like make them do whatever he wanted. There's that whole one scene where they're all like, they're like writhing around on the ground, like worms and like animals and stuff like that. And simply because he said, do this and like basically shook his hand, like, like waved his hand at them and whatnot. The whole idea of blind faith and no matter how ridiculous or how stupid it made them look or act they did it and it's like yeah that's happening in this world right now like again a movie that was made in 1964 where i'm watching this going beat for beat this is hitting like so many fucking topics and it's just ultimately so relevant and it's like wow like this movie just like constantly banged it out one after another after another. And th- like I said, this is a movie that was made in 1964. And yet we keep saying we live in unprecedented times. Nobody could have seen this coming. Well, somebody fucking did. I understand that a lot of the themes mentioned that, I, uh, that I've just talked about do not show up in the short story of that's by Edgar Allan Poe. His, his short story, like literally, it's a... You know how like you'll go on like BuzzFeed articles and it'll say it's like a three-minute read or something? Seriously, I think this this short story is about a five-minute read tops if you're a slow reader. Like, it does not take long to read. The thing is, is that it was a very short story. So, due to the Mask of the Red Death, the story being so short, they... The, Charles Beaumont, when he made the screenplay, him and R. Wright Campbell, when, when they were, you know, conspiring to make this screenplay or whatnot, they took stories from like elements of, I should say, from Hop Frog by Edgar Allan Poe and Torture by Hope, which was by the French writer, Jesus Murphy. <laughs> this is going to be tough to say. August Villiers de Lisle Adam. I think I actually said that right too. But anyways, he wrote Torture by Hope. And so... The subplot of the midget dancers, uh, or little people dancers, in Mask of the Red Death, that was the part that came from Hop Frog. As a matter of fact, I believe there's even, uh, what is it, Um, the one character's name is Hop Toad or something like that. And then the the storyline of Francesca with her father Ludovico and lover Gino, that came from Torture by Hope. Um... So, I mean, not all the elements that I spoke about. Like, And again, I also mentioned that, you know, the, the Satanism. That is something that they completely threw in. And I've even read comments online where people say, you know, they could have taken the whole part of Satan right out of there. And it, you wouldn't have lost anything from it. I think the reason why they went with the whole Satanic thing was because the devil, you know, the red colors and whatnot. It was a good way to mislead the crowd or the audience into thinking that, you know, the face behind the Red Death was, you know, the, was the devil, was Satan himself. When in actuality, when Vincent Price's character at the end of the movie says, take off your mask, whose face do we see underneath that hood? Not John Westbrook's either. <laughs> no, we see, you know, Prince Prospero's face. 
So basically Vincent Price playing two different characters. I should have said spoilers, shouldn't I have? Oh well, whatever. You're listening to this episode, so you must know that I'm going to talk shit about it. Not to mention spoilers for a movie that came out in 1964. Come on. A few more things to note. Uh, the dialogue in this movie is spot fucking on. Especially when it is Vincent Price doing the talking. I already said I could fall in love with this man's voice and I am heterosexual. Yes, he could tell me to, you know... Well, he, one thing he couldn't tell me to do is to murder my dog because I would not. But he could tell me to, like, burn my VHS collection and I would. Well, on second thought. No, um, moving on. But no, it's it's no wonder... Uh, in, in pop culture, uh, in terms, especially in music, many times—I shouldn't say many because it's only been a few times—but it's been very noticeable. Uh, quotes from this film have been used in songs uh, by bands like Theater of Tragedy, Electric Wizard, and Bell Witch. Uh, specifically, Theater of Tragedy, um, their song "And When He and When He Falleth." Uh, they're they're. They did a nice cut and paste thing with that, but they make it really work well for the song. And uh, and those quotes, if you've heard the song, anything Vincent Price is saying in that, it came from this movie. Um, I'd like to point out that the interactions between Vincent Price and Jane Asher are amazing. They are really, really good. Their chemistry works very well on the screen. Um, that was... Uh, Long story short, I've been watching Lord of the Rings lately, and I says to my friend the other night, I says, you know, I'm watching these movies, and I've realized there was never one bad casting throughout all three fucking movies. Uh, and you're talking almost 13 hours of film, uh, extended editions, obviously. Not a single bad casting. When, you come, when, when it comes to this movie, it's not that there's a bad casting, but I think that Vincent Price and Jane Asher were probably two of the best castings you could have got for this film. Their chemistry works amazing, and they work really well off each other. It does help that Nicholas Rogue's photography is just gorgeous, as I already mentioned about the colors and whatnot. I mean, the scenes in this movie, I though you can tell they're in a studio. There's some points where they're supposed to be walking, you know, outside by trees and whatnot. You can tell it's a studio. <laughs> it, it was that time frame and whatnot, but... That doesn't take away from the lush colors and the imagery. Um, for the most part, this is revered as one of Roger Corman's best films. While not everyone is a fan, it seems like the love of this film definitely leans he heavily in favor of, as opposed to being against. Now, getting into the receptions of the film, I have a few quotes, and then we will go with my version of my own review and rating, and we'll end this show. Empire Magazine has the film rated at a 4 out of 5, uh, basically quoted as saying the first of Roger Corman's Vincent Price, Edgar Allan Poe gothic horror films to be made in Britain. Uh, Mask breaks with the comedy of the previous entry, The Raven, which I had said earlier, The Raven was the one he did before this, uh, along with, uh, I, actually I think he did The Raven, in, but House of Usher, I think he did before this one. I'm not... I. I'd have to look at the time frames again for those. But anyways, uh, Mask breaks with the comedy of the previous entry, The Raven, to deliver a remarkable entertainment, which is as much 
homage to Ingmar Bergman's The Seventh Seal as adaptation of Poe's Baroque uh, fable. I almost said failure. God, far from a failure. Um, Which, yeah, like, I mean, again, you know, like I said, like, you know, Corman was so worried that people would feel he was ripping off of the seventh seal and where empire film uh, empire from empire magazine basically says the film is more an homage than anything else. They don't look at it as a ripoff. Um, Variety magazine is quoted as stating that Corman uh, in terms of Corman in this film, they said his color camera work, his sets, the music and the plot unfoldment, uh, itself established an appropriate mood for Poe's tale, tale of terror, and in addition, it's evident Corman doesn't take his subject too seriously. We approach this movie in 2020 that it's, it's a lot of the themes that are going on in this film. It's like, god damn, like you're fucking nailing 2020. But you got to remember when this movie came out, it wasn't taken too seriously. It was. It was more considered a, a, a mocking of you know the rich versus the poor you know the religious versus the the theists and stuff like that um it it really wasn't meant to be taken so seriously it's just scary that you know a couple decades later it's like yeah look at the world now not so funny anymore um <laughs> horror news net states price always gives a wonderful performance usually among extremely less gifted and charismatic actors in this film though the actors all do a fine justice to prince's vintage finesse jane asher conveys a truly believable performance as an incorruptible diamond in the rough with doe-like eyes that seem to have the perfect faith they also went on to say plenty of vintage screams, pretty maidens, satanic focus, cruelty, darkness, and blood will satisfy. Let's not forget that wonderful devil, Vincent Price. It's brilliant. Um, more or less uh, to hit the points about Jane Asher and the fact that she was able to keep up with Vincent Price's level. That is something that really stands out. And I know it seems like I'm taking away from the other actors. The other actors do just as much. Hazel Court is amazing. Um, the two gentlemen who play Ludovico and Gino, they're, they're really good. Um, you really don't watch this uh, movie and go and, and think to yourself, there's any cringeworthy performances. There really isn't. And when you have a legend like Vincent Price, you know, who's, who, in this current era, we look back on his resume and go, fuck, this is a man doesn't have a bad movie to his name. These not-so-famous actors really stepped up to, you know, stepped their game up and they kept up with him. And not to mention, let's keep in mind, this movie makes Roger Corman look amazing. Like, not that Corman is a bad movie maker, but his name has been tied to more cheese than it has been, you know, you know, golden cinematic experiences. And because of this movie, it's like, you know, he's raised up a lot of levels. IMDb has this movie rated at a 7 out of 10, 7 being the most common rating at 30.2%. The audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is a 66% fresh. There was no critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. Metacritic has the film standing at a 77 out of 100 with eight positive reviews and 81% of Google users like this film. The podcast zero rating. I'm going to do this quickly. 
point for point, and let's end this shit. Wickedly colorful, beautifully shot, magnificent costumes. I haven't even mentioned the costumes. Costumes are fucking awesome in this. Like, it just... Beautiful. Eerily relevant. Keep in mind, had I been reviewing this in maybe like 1980, it's a different approach. But with the year we've been going through, yikes. Way relevant. Wonderful performances by Jane Asher and especially Vincent Price. In my opinion, for me personally, this is the best of Roger Corman's films. My numeric rating is a 7 out of 10. Plus two bonus points for Vincent Price's devilishly delicious performance because the man is fucking amazing in this. And we're talking about a man that like I've appreciated a lot of his work. House on Haunted Hill is one of my favorite movies that he's been in, uh, including The Fly also. And I'm not a huge Michael Jackson fan, but Thriller is a fucking kick-ass song because of this man. So if it's 7 out of 10... Plus, I'm going to give two Hogwarts Hogwarts points because we're going to do like, you know, Dumbledore's like, oh, well, Slytherin won. But hold on a second. I'll give extra two points. It's nine deaths out of ten. That's what I, It's a nine out of ten. This movie is just, it's up there. It's amazing. I realize I really didn't criticize much. If There's really not much to criticize. Um, I realize that... Also, you have to keep in mind my approach to this movie. There could be some things that I I realize I may be stretching it, but this is what I get out of this movie, especially revisiting it in 2020 just recently and going, holy shit, this movie spoke to me. So nine deaths out of 10. And on that note, thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you for coming back for episode 80 of What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. I am your host, Postmortem Paul. I know I've seen somewhere, uh, like, it's kind of funny with the word postmortem, actually, and I, I don't even know why that stuck. That was just the word or the name that I decided to go with, but I've seen it spelt both ways, where post and mortem are two different words, and then I've seen people spell it as one word. I know I spell it as one for my name. Um... But yeah, I've noticed recently that I see it spelt both ways, and I'm sure that probably the way I spell it is incorrect, but it's not incorrect because it's the way I want it spelt. But anyways, thanks for tuning in, kids. Ah, if you're looking for the podcast. So Spotify and Apple... Apple Podcasts, you can find it there. Google, apparently, you still can. I don't know what's going on with Google. I keep getting these weird notifications that I have to transfer my podcasts over and stuff like that. I don't fucking know what they're doing. So, if you can still find it on Google, great. If not, you know, you can always go to the nextlevelnetwork.com slash podcast zero, home of the podcast, or what lurks behind podcast zero.com. On social media, facebook.com slash what lurks behind podcast zero. I also want to say to all the new followers, because for some reason, October, it happens every year. The numbers blow up on the likes and follows. If you are new to the Facebook, 
environment and you're checking out this episode thank you for tuning in thank you for joining on my quest to be as annoying as possible (laughs) but aside from that no um i try to keep it relatively um you know civil on there i don't like people like getting pissy i don't like people starting fights so and i'm i'm very fortunate that on my page that very rarely ever happens I think in the two and a half, almost three years that I've been doing this, uh, I think we've only had one or two little tiny skirmishes that were easily wiped away, um, which is awesome because I don't I don't want this to be a negative environment. And the Facebook page has been great for that. Instagram has been great for that too. I know that I've been saying I'm going to remove that account. I don't know for sure if I'm going to with Instagram. Instagram is very civil. Uh, Twitter, I don't know what Twitter's going to happen. But as it stands right now, the Twitter is still there. And I have been using the Twitter account a bit recently, uh, especially with the fact of the Halloween hideaway with Joe Bob and Darcy and crew. Um, but if you're looking for it on Instagram, uh, what lurks behind Podcast Zero. And if you're looking for. You know, the, the podcast on Twitter, WLB Podcast Zero. Lurker's Recommendation, and then let's get the fuck on out of here. Um, so Lurker's Recommendation, I have one from Shudder and one from Tubi. Uh, I, I like to keep it within the streaming services because I know they're a lot more accessible. And sometimes when I mention a physical release, if people can't get their hands on it, you know, it's like, well, how do I watch this movie? So on Shudder, I want to uh, recommend the Mortuary Collection, which uh, it's an anthology story uh, that um, all comes together based on uh, a certain mortician played by the ever-talented Clancy Brown. And my fucking God, is he awesome in this movie. Uh, I wish he had been used a little bit more, but the scenes he's in always chewing up the scenery and it's a beautiful thing or if you don't have access to shutter and you want to watch something seriously i'm just gonna say this i'm throwing this out there and everyone's gonna be like why would you recommend this because i want to boost people's esteem i want people to feel good about themselves i dare you can you start and finish the movie Things on Tubi from 1989. And again, I'm not I'm not critiquing this to knock down the creators of this movie. I'm saying this because these men, these gentlemen, these women and whatnot that came together and made this movie, they made it a thing, and there are people that actually love this thing. And that says something. That says, you know, keep creating, keep putting out there, man. Like I Long story short, I know I've rambled a lot this episode, and I'm just going to make this really quick. Um, not so long ago, uh, someone uh, that I, I, I'm friend, well, kind of friends with, I've more followed them on Twitter than actually know them personally or whatnot, but someone that's in, you know, the same idea, you know, out there doing the, the good thing for horror movies and whatnot, trying to promote them and whatnot. Anyways, uh, I, this someone, she, she wrote this status on Twitter kind of saying you know like i'm really in the dumps i wonder why i'd still do this blah 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 blah. and you know i followed it up with i like i sent her a tweet and just basically say you know like hey like you know 
you got to remember that, you know, passion breeds passion. So what you love, if you put it out there, someone else might love it as, as well. And, you know, then someone kind of sent her this amazing thing that's basically to all creators, basically saying, you know, you have silent fans. Not everyone always expresses their love for something, especially in a social media world. Not everyone is on social media. Not everyone feels the need to have to express themselves about everything they love which is very true like there's movies that i love i never talk about on social media it doesn't mean i don't love the movies i'm just that silent fan and anyways then i of course not not even like 24 hours later i watched this movie and it's like you could tell that these creators as cheesy and as crappy as a movie as this is they still put their passion into it and that passion breeded passion other people eventually followed along and there's a lot of shtick about this movie and i mean i'm not gonna lie there's a lot of people that hate this thing like to the other end of the world but it exists for a reason there's a there's a reason why it's there and for me my takeaway from the film was if they can create this and make it work and I can continue to create and make things work, and we all can. You know, it's kind of like Rocky said, if I can change, then you all can change. Like, you know, but um, that's kind of my point. Um, I've talked enough. Next episode is a Halloween surprise. I will say this. For those of you paying attention, I actually revealed it already. But you have to be paying attention. You have to know where to look. And our closing track will be a track that I've already mentioned as well. I'm actually going to close out with Theater of Tragedies and When He Falleth because it's a kick-ass song, beautifully sung by uh, Liv Christine and, you know, awesome quotes cut and pasted beautifully to, you know, help this song and whatnot. And I've talked more than enough. God, I've been talking for almost a fucking hour. It's time to shut my mouth. And let you guys have yourselves a great week. There's a Halloween surprise still on the way. That's all I'm going to say. Like I said, if you know where to look, I already told you. And on that, it's a cut. You need to shut the fuck up.
around your neck? Is it only a decoration, or are you a true Christian believer? Yes, I believe, truly. And I want you to remove it at once, and never to wear it within this castle again. Do you know how Falcon is trained, my dear? Her eyes are sewn shut. Blinded temporarily, she suffers the whims of her god patiently until her will is submerged and she learns to serve. That's sure god taught and blinded you with crosses. You had me take off my cross because it offended... It offended no one. No, it simply appeared to me to be discourteous to, uh, to wear the symbol of a deity long dead. Someone, something, rules in this place. 